Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. On with the show. Hello, welcome to This Day in History class, where we flip through the book of history and bring you a new page every day. The day was June 11th, 1971. After 19 months of protesting, the occupation of Alcatraz ended when federal marshals removed the Native Americans who remained on the island. Native oral histories referenced tribal use of Alcatraz Island, but by the 18th century, it was attracting the attention of Europeans. In the mid-1800s, the U.S. Army began to use Alcatraz Island to house military prisoners. Native Americans who resisted the dominance and assimilation imposed by the U.S. government were also locked up on the island without any legal proceedings. Other Native Americans who were tried in military courts as prisoners of war were sentenced to time at Alcatraz. In 1934, the island operated as a U.S. prison. By March of 1963, United States Penitentiary Alcatraz Island closed due to financial and operating issues and a declining reputation. The next year, a group of Native Americans went to Alcatraz Island claiming the property as Native land based on the Treaty of Fort Laramie. The treaty, signed in 1868, was an agreement between the United States and Lakota, Dakota, and Arapaho peoples. The treaty provided that the U.S. would return defunct federal lands to Native American tribes. So when the group of about 40 Native Americans and supporters landed on Alcatraz Island in 1964, one of the protesters offered to pay 47 cents per acre to purchase the island, which was the same amount of money that the state of California had offered Native tribes for land claims based on 1853 land values. Federal marshals removed the group from the island, but this demonstration encouraged Native Americans in the Bay Area to occupy Alcatraz years later. Native Americans began advocating for the transformation of Alcatraz into a Native American cultural center and school. The occupation of Alcatraz that began in 1969 was a part of the Red Power Movement. The movement grew out of opposition to the U.S. government dissolving treaty agreements, terminating recognition of more than 100 tribes as sovereign dependent nations, and encouraging Native Americans to leave reservations in traditional lands and assimilate into urban areas. Calls for self-determination and protests of the government's treatment of Native Americans, including issues of land rights, abounded. Since the federal government had abandoned Alcatraz, Native Americans claimed they had a treaty right to file a claim on the island. On November 9, 1969, a group of Native Americans gathered at Pier 39 in San Francisco, and Mohawk activist Richard Oakes read a proclamation by the Indians of all tribes, the name the activist group took. As a boat called the Monte Cristo took 50 passengers to circle Alcatraz, some of the people jumped off and attempted to swim to the island. One person made it, but the rest had to be rescued. After a fisherman agreed to take some of the activists to the island, 14 Native Americans ended up staying the night at Alcatraz. But the occupation that lasted the longest began on November 20th, 1969. 
about 90 Native Americans went to Alcatraz and set up a permanent occupation. And they issued a proclamation. The proclamation was addressed to the Great White Father and all his people. In it, they offered $24 in glass beads and red cloth to purchase Alcatraz Island. The following is part of a proclamation that the Indians of all tribes drew up. We will purchase said Alcatraz Island for $24 in glass beads and red cloth, a precedent set by the white man's purchase of a similar island about 300 years ago. We know that $24 in trade goods for these 16 acres is more than was paid when Manhattan Island was sold, but we know that land values have risen over the years. Our offer of $1.24 per acre is greater than the $0.47 cents per acre the white men are now paying the California Indians for their land. The proclamation continued, this tiny island would be a symbol of the great lands once ruled by free and noble Indians. The Native Americans on the island established an elected council and jobs on the island. There was a security force, a nursery, a school, and health clinic, and other establishments. Outside activists sent supplies for the occupation, and people sent donations from around the country. A Dakota tribe member set up Radio Free Alcatraz, which broadcast a daily program for people to keep up with the occupation. The demonstrators called for the deed to the island, a native university, a cultural center, and a museum. But the U.S. government wanted them off the island and did not agree to these terms. Over the next several months, divisions arose in the organization and non-native people began living on the island. And in January of 1970, the stepdaughter of Richard Oakes, a 13-year-old girl named Yvonne Oakes, died at Alcatraz after she fell off of a balcony. The U.S. entered a policy of non-interference with the occupation, but as leadership disintegrated, three occupiers were arrested and found guilty of selling copper, and the press began publishing stories of assault, the occupation began losing steam. The power and telephone service was cut to Alcatraz, and at one point, a fire burned some of the buildings on the island. People began leaving the island. On June 11, 1971, Federal marshals arrived armed on the island and arrested the last 15 occupiers. But over the course of the occupation, President Richard Nixon announced an end to termination and the return of Blue Lake to the Taos Pueblo Native Americans. Occupied lands near Davis, California, will become home to a Native American university. Legislation was passed that supported tribal self-rule. The occupation also sparked other actions, like the occupation of Mount Rushmore and Wounded Knee. The National Park Service opened Alcatraz to the public in 1973. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you're so inclined, you can follow us at TDIHC Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, then you know that I have a new show called Unpopular. Unpopular is about people in history who resisted and were sometimes persecuted for it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.
Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast that flips through the book of history and tears out a single page. The day was June 11th, 1837. A riot broke out in Boston when a fire company met an Irish funeral procession. The conflict is known as the Broad Street Riot. 1830s Boston was home to a large number of immigrants. It was also home to a large number of people who harbored anti-immigrant and anti-Catholic sentiments. 1837 specifically also saw a financial crisis that affected wages and unemployment. The competition for jobs among working-class people in the city heightened anti-immigrant sentiment. Many of the immigrants in Boston were Irish. Some Bostonians and Protestants in the city directed their hostility at the growing number of Irish immigrants. Conflict between Boston-born laborers and Irish laborers had become common. On June 11, 1837, these tensions escalated into a riot between a fire company and an Irish funeral procession. Firefighters in Boston were mostly volunteers, and most of the volunteers were American-born Protestant men. These volunteer fire companies were extremely competitive because the city paid the first one to arrive on the scene of the fire. The companies were also known for being rowdy, and many of the volunteers in the fire companies were laborers who competed with the Irish for jobs. At the same time, the Irish harbored some resentment for the firefighters. When a Charlestown convent was burned down in 1834, many Irish people questioned why the firefighters had refused to put it out. On the afternoon of June 11th, Engine Company 20 returned from a fire at Roxbury to their station on East Street. Most of the company went to a nearby pub. The neighborhood they were in was an Irish one, and when they left the pub, a funeral procession of around 500 Irish people was making its way past. A firefighter named George Fay reportedly started a brawl with people in the procession, but the firefighters were outnumbered, and they soon went back to their station. The procession then moved on. It's unclear exactly what happened next, but the foreman of the fire company, W.W. Miller, ordered the firefighters to bring their engine out and sound the fire alarm bell. Miller later said that he gave the order when some Irish men tried to take over the fire station, and he feared they were trying to harm the company. According to the Boston Evening Transcript, a firefighter went to another fire station and shouted, the Irish have risen upon us and are going to kill us. As more fire companies responded to the alarm, the situation descended into chaos. One fire company collided with people in the procession, causing injuries. Firefighters said it was an accident, while the Irish said it was intentional. Regardless, a riot erupted. Irish people came out of their homes to join the riot. People attacked each other with sticks, stones, bricks, and other weapons. The fighting peaked as the riot reached Broad Street. The Irish were overpowered and they retreated to their homes. But people on the firefighters' side proceeded to invade and vandalize the homes in the neighborhood. They broke windows and looted houses. After a couple of hours, Mayor Samuel Elliott called in the state militia and a cavalry company to quell the riot. In the immediate aftermath, newspapers reported deaths, but there were no confirmed deaths due to the riot. There were serious injuries, though, and some people may have died of those injuries later. A lot of the district was destroyed. A grand jury indicted 14 Irishmen and four Protestant men for rioting. 
All four of the latter were acquitted, while three of the Irishmen were sentenced to months of hard labor. By 1838, the Boston Fire Department and Boston Police Department had been established. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.